Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This episode is supported by The Podcast Host. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, I highly recommend you check them out for their courses, their mentorship, their production services, for that matter, to get your podcast off the ground. Or if you have one to grow it further, check them out at beingfreelance.com. There's a link right now. Let's find out what it's like being freelance for wedding photographer, Phil Allen. It's always useful, I think, in terms of promoting yourself to have at least three points of entry in terms of people finding you. At the moment, roughly half my clients have come through follow-on weddings, so it's people who are guests at previous weddings. Half of my work through publication, wedding blogs. Ideally, I should always have had in place a third point of entry, which would have been, for me, uh, having good search engine optimization for my website. I am currently, because I'm reliable, on these two streams. It's almost akin to sitting on a stool with two legs. You know, I'm still sat upright and I'm still staying off the ground, but I'm having to use a bit more leg muscle action to keep things balanced. Whereas if I could get another leg on that stool, then I could sit on it without worrying about it wobbling, you know. Yes. Hello. So we are going to be speaking to Phil Allen. Mr. Phil is the moniker he goes by, based in Bournemouth in the UK, which is very nice down by the beach. So that's in a moment. Just to remind you, beingfreelance.com, head over there for all the previous guests and to sign up to the newsletter, uh, which is there as well for some freelance inspiration. Join us on Twitter as well, at beingfreelance. And you can follow me as well. Check out some of the videos I've done where I chat to freelancers about their sign projects as well if you're that way inclined but yeah so many guests on there who uh, share their stories with us so hopefully you enjoy them if you do you can always leave a review as well really appreciate that let's crack on though and chat to freelance wedding photographer phil allen hey phil hi steve good to meet you likewise so let's get started hearing about how you got started being freelance right um Well, I've been purely freelance for, um, it must be about four years at this juncture, Uh, though the business which I operate in a freelance capacity has been running now for seven years. Uh, For for 23 years, I I worked in academia in higher education. I was a lecturer and I taught uh, cinematography to computer animation students, did a variety of other things, project supervision, etc. And uh, and I I was a lifelong academic, really. It was, uh, you know, that was where I saw myself being through to retirement, Uh, absolutely loved the job. But about seven years ago, uh, I accidentally photographed a wedding. Uh, in fact, I, I was emotionally strong-armed into photographing a wedding by <laughs> uh, a, fr- a friend of a friend at the university I worked at, um, saw some of my documentary photography work, and he was getting married, and he approached me and uh, and said, uh, would you like to shoot our wedding? And uh, I, I said to him, I said, uh, no, I, I'm sorry, I don't photograph weddings. You know, the groom-to-be said, why not? And I said, well, no offence, but uh, I, I find the notion of doing processions of staged photographs and all those group photographs and things, uh, uh, it, it doesn't really attract me. And and his response to that was, well, actually, we, we don't want all of that sort of conventional, traditional stuff, you know, the perception people have of, of the field of wedding photography. We we just want what you do, the, the sort of documentary storytelling and uh, I paused for thought and then said, mm, uh, still no, sorry, no. And he, <laughs> he said, well, why not? And I said, well, 
if I mess it up, I can't come back the following weekend and redo it. And he said, well, I understand that, he said, but uh, uh, it's down to this, it's either you or tabletop disposable cameras. And that was, uh, you know, the turning point for me. Uh, I just thought, I have to save you from that fate, because <laughs> I've seen the results <laughs> from these cameras. And so I agreed, for, agreed to photograph the wedding and absolutely loved it. Um, and assumed that was it, because uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Well, I'd love to do this uh, if this is what the market was about. But I, I assumed this was a a one-off, a, 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 you know, an idiosyncratic sort of request for something particular. But then uh, a friend, uh, a colleague of the groom saw the photographs, asked me if I'd photograph her wedding, and I said, I don't photograph weddings. <laughs> And she said, and it boiled down to, well, it's either you or my 14-year-old cousin uh, will do the photographs. And I, I said, well, maybe the 14-year-old cousin is a genius at photography. And she goes, no, I, I want you to take the photographs. So I did that one. And something <laughs> so, something flipped in my mind, a little switch flicked. When, when I looked at the images, and because they were, again, predominantly responsive uh, documentary photographs uh, I saw great emotional depth and it, they they revealed to me things about these people which I felt uh, I, I would never have understood about them if I'd not seen these split second moments where they revealed what they were thinking or feeling through the way they were looking at each other through their interactions so so I put examples from these weddings up on I had a website with a a, a very odd name, mrphil.com, which I'd used for my teaching notes. And I thought, I'd, I'll put them up there and see what happens. And it just snowballed from there. So I found found myself uh, quite rapidly going off at weekends to photograph a couple of dozen to a few dozen weddings across the year, continuing with my job as a lecturer. But then uh, two years ago, I no, four years ago, rather, I made the decision to take a sabbatical from work in academia and that was four years ago, so um, uh, I think I forgot to go back, unfortunately. But, uh, <laughs> so th this is what I do now full-time. I, I travel all over the country, out into Europe, photograph weddings, and that's where I am now. What a wonderful story. I love the fact that you needed convincing. So did it simply get to a point where you were you had so much work where you thought, I need to take that sabbatical? Or did you think, you know, I think if I really concentrated this, on this and marketed myself, then I would have enough work. Do, do you see what I mean? There's sort of difference there. Yeah, I, I basically, I had enough work through wedding photography to to uh, replace my income. But the, the the reason I moved across full-time was uh, not so much to do with uh, an imbalance or overload of work. Uh, at that juncture, uh, what I was doing was uh, toodling off over a weekend to photograph the wedding, and then I would um, uh, do a, an initial edit of the images and send them off to a company in Canada to do the processing, which tends to be the lion's share of the work you know the amount of hours you put in in processing is several times more than the amount of time spent on the ground photographing an event interesting that you outsource part of the job the, the, the you know the processing as you called it do you still do that um no i when i went full time i took on then reverted to doing all of my own processing because I have a, a most photographers have a, a sort of signature style, a kind of almost like a fingerprint mm. or handwriting style in in the rendition of their work. 
Now, how about finding clients? Obviously, those first ones came through referral, but mm-hmm. how has that changed? How do you market yourself? Um, I market myself almost purely through my website. Uh, I'm a great believer in triangulation, uh, the notion of triangulation being applied to all manner of things. And uh, so there's something I, I uh, am concerned about at the moment, but, but it's all going fine. But uh, it, it's always useful, I think, in terms of promoting yourself to have at least three points of entry in terms of people finding you. At the moment, uh, roughly half my clients at this juncture come through, uh, I call them follow-on weddings. So it's people who are guests at previous weddings, uh, siblings, people who are bridesmaids or groomsmen who are getting married. And they've not only seen the nature and quality of my work, but they, they've seen me in action. And so they know that uh, I'm not going to be a barky, shouty, controlling sort of uh, person who... who tries to mould the day to suit the images. They they know I'm very relaxed and get on with people. So roughly half my work comes through that. Uh, half of my work used to come through publication, uh, wedding blogs, which are massive now for couples in terms of uh, planning their weddings. So I'd frequently get weddings published uh, on wedding blogs. So half my work would come through that as well. Um, Ideally, I should always have had in place uh, a third point of entry, which would have been, for me, uh, having good search engine optimization for my website. Uh, in the early days, uh, you know, I was very high up on page one of Google for regional Bournemouth and Dorset search terms. I'm now down to page six on that because I diverted my attention away from, from that aspect of finding uh, finding clients because the other two aspects are working so well. So... Um, uh, that's something I do need to work on. Because your website is really nice and I love the fact that, you know, Mr. Phil, as a company name for that matter, came about because of your academic website that yeah. you had. When when did you, uh, I mean, it looks to me like you've invested in, in that website. W- w- when did that happen? Yeah, uh, the, the Mr. Phil thing, uh, uh, mrphil.com, when I put these couple of weddings up and interest started to come in, it snowballed really rapidly because the first year I photographed six or seven weddings the next year I did 30 so it just popped now it went to what I view as my preferred maximum limit of uh, commissions per year but I thought I've got to come up with a proper name for this business Uh, and I thought you know Philip Allen wedding photography that's dull Um, and I I, I thought of flamboyant names like a theatre de la mort Uh, and I tried to think of an evocative name which explained what the business was about, uh, what I was offering Uh, but my clients started referring me to me as Mr. Phil, and uh, and to this day, my clients still do. And and uh, guests at weddings who've been to other weddings I photographed will go, "Hey, Mr. Phil, it's you again, brilliant." Um, so I stuck with the name because uh, I thought I'm, I'm sure this name must be putting certain people off. But then, anyone who has the kind of spirit or nature, uh, person, the personality I want to work with will will you know, be fine with that as a, a bizarre business name. Um, but it, it tied, no, t- tied in then to the design of the website. And uh, it was a particular client I had uh, who was a designer whose wedding I photographed in Spain. Um, I, I felt that this client got, he got me so much, he got my personality so much and understood my work 
so much that I thought you're going to be the best person for me to hire to actually build design around this to you know create design which which uh, says something about what I do or clearly voices or puts an envelope around it which clearly articulates what I do because I, I've always been aware that the images speak for themselves but um, I've also always been aware that uh, branding, uh, the way you brand your work, uh, uh, contributes enormously to um, signalling to prospective clients what you're about, what it is you're going to deliver to them, and and it'll signal confidence to them in in the process and the product. So I, I've fragged the, the past uh, four or five years now, I've been hiring uh, my designer, Dan, uh, Dan Young, who trades under the name of uh, Eggs, Eggs and Logs online. And uh, so I paid proper rates, proper designer rates to have the website built uh, and everything that surrounds uh, uh, providing information to my prospective clients and delivering product to the clients at the end. And it, it's something I've always invested in properly because um, uh, I, I've very often come across photographers, uh, and I'm sure this happens in all manner of fields, uh, where where the work is freelance, where people are sole traders, self-employed. Uh, always a lot of concern about prospective clients coming along and... Uh, tire kicking and not being appreciative of why things cost what they do yet at the same time I've heard many photographers saying but oh, to get a proper designer they charge this much you know and uh, and I've always found a sort of uh, an irony in the fact that a, a person running a business can look at a prospective client pool and get worried that well why are they not willing to spend what needs to be spent? Yet they will look as purchases at another field and think, oh, no, I don't want to spend anything on that. So so hmm. I, I, I pay properly for the design, and, and it works. It works enormously. The, the website, um, uh, I, I saw quite a strong increase in focused inquiries as a result of launching the website. And that's been consistent. And Dan also did a, a fantastic uh, sort of pricing and information brochure for me. And since uh, deploying that brochure, uh, the the turnaround time between initial inquiry and booking has dropped drastically. So uh, I'm no longer experiencing a sort of back and forth communication with prospective clients sort of uh, you know, persuading them or, or or providing them with with information which persuades them to book because it's all there, all presented in a very evocative manner. So, um, spend well on good design, uh, good branding. Uh, it really does pay dividends, and really, to me, it's the cost of what I would take gross from you know two or three weddings, three or four weddings, maybe reinvested back into the business and and that aspect then looks after itself for you because because uh, the brand the branding is there we will of course put a link to your website for uh, at being freelance.com and i recommend people take a look it's because I, I like the fact that um 
uh, you, you know, you've mentioned the pricing there and that brochure is the fact that you click on money and then, uh, you know, it leads you to this PDF brochure, which is so beautifully designed. And you scroll and you scroll, you know, it's not until about page 10 of 12 that you that you actually come to the pricing, mm-hmm. by which point you're just utterly in love with what you've seen. <laughs> like You're like, oh, this is just this is what I need for my wedding. And then, yeah, and then you get and it's, you know, it's very it's not a get in touch. It's a specific there's it, a you know, there's a very specific pricing that you then put put out it's uh it's yeah it's worth seeing do, do take a look beanfreelance.com we'll, we'll put a link through it's a yeah really beautiful brochure Brilliant. cool okay we will come back in a moment phil if that's all right but let me just remind you that this episode is supported by the nice people at the podcast host they have a host of courses available to get your podcast up and running if you're thinking about doing one to share your expertise as you're part of your freelance business or maybe just one to do on the side to give you a bit of a creative outlet to do with your passions then do take a look at them there's a web link via beingfreelance.com and if you already have a podcast they have um, mentorship groups one-on-one sessions they have loads of advice and courses on how to grow your audience and even the ability to take the editing off your hands if you're finding it's just a bit too time-consuming for you. So do take a look, beingfreelance.com, and say hi to them at the podcast host. Back to you, though, Phil. I just want to go back, actually. You, I like your whole three points of entry, uh, triangular kind of thing that you mentioned earlier. And one of those was wedding blogs, uh, your work appearing on wedding blogs. So how do you go about that? Do you approach them uh, to try, you know, this is a bit like other people might guest blog, uh, you know, to try and draw people towards their own site or work or whatever. Um, wedding blogs are clearly a huge thing. So how how did you go about that? Uh, it, initially, it was um, uh, there's one blog in particular called Rock, uh, Rock My Wedding, which is uh, I, I would uh, hazard the guess is probably the most heavily used, heavily visited wedding inspiration blog in in Europe, uh, and. Uh, there's a couple based up in Lancaster called the Lawsons, uh, Pete and Laura Lawson, who are wedding photographers whose work I always adored, loved. And I got to know them, met them. Uh, I, I tootled up to London to uh, second shoot or third shoot, in this case, on a wedding with them. And uh, they were at that stage being published fairly regularly uh, on Rock My Wedding. So they... they uh, tipped off the owners of the blog and said oh have a look at this guy's work and and then the blog got in touch with me invited me to submit some work and it started a, a chain then of uh, submissions so what i do uh, currently is uh, when i photograph a wedding where i feel this will fit the sort of remit of what this blog likes to present i'll send them uh, some samples a little brief write-up explaining what I see, uh, where I see the connection between what they publish and what was done at this event. And uh, then if they accept that for publication, the questionnaire goes to the clients. And and then I just have to hope the clients aren't too busy to do it, which which is very often the case because uh, people do, people get very busy after they get married. But, uh, but uh, you know, sort of, uh, as long as I have a little, a relatively steady stream uh, of weddings being published, it keeps the sort of cycle going. But the going back to the triangulation aspect, it's sort of, it, 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 I, I am currently because I'm reliant on these two streams. It's almost akin to sitting on a stool with two legs. 
So, you know, <laughs> I'm still sat upright and I'm still staying off the ground, but, but I'm having to use a bit more uh, leg muscle action to, to keep things balanced. Whereas if I could get another leg on that stool, then, then I could sit on it without worrying about it wobbling. You know, it's, uh, um, so, yeah, the triangulation thing fits into all manner of things for me. It sort of, you know, it, it lends stability. That's wonderful. I learned that. Uh, you you mentioned very briefly that you have a a maximum limit, you know, that you ideally like to work on uh, per year. How do you go about? Um, well, I, I guess the thing is, is that it can be very tempting to take on all the jobs that come your way. So, do you turn work down? Do you refer it on? Or like, how how do you manage that? Um, I, I've never turned down work uh, when I'm available. The, the reason for that being, <clears throat> uh, I, I, at this stage, I have such a, a focused sort of system of filtration at the front end uh, from my business name through the styling of the logo, which is not at all flowery. It's a very sort of Gerald Scarf, like uh, actually inspired by Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Roving Las Vegas, um, which, which was a, a table name at a wedding I once photographed. Uh, the book was used as a table name. So so I get clients who are into similar things as I am uh, in terms of literature, uh, visual, whatever sort of media. But um, here I go digressing. This is what I do with my photography. I'm a very digressive photographer who always gets back to the point ultimately, but uh, but there are so many things fired which are connected off. So this was about uh, turning down. I've never turned down anyone because people have already, prospective clients have already turned me down before they get to the point of contact um, because they might not like the branding. They might find they like my images but find them perhaps a bit irreverent and maybe they want a bit more of the classical sort of content, uh, which I might well do, but I never show because uh, I just show what I like in my work. So yeah. so there's, there's a filtering process going on, a selection process where I, I, I don't make a decision uh, people who've seen my site, seen my work, make the decision for themselves. And everyone, practically everyone who moves through to the inquiry stage uh, is already pretty much sold on what I do. So in that sense, uh, I don't receive inquiries, which I would wish to turn down because they're pretty much always, yes, this is the kind of person I want to work with because they've bought into what I do. And I know from experience, from constant, consistent experience that I'll get on with them and I'll enjoy working with them and I'll enjoy uh, you know, the event which they're bringing me in to, to document. So, uh, yeah, people turn themselves down or turn me down before I even hear from them. So uh, the, the sort of maximum number of jobs I have in mind, uh, uh, I never break that level really, but it... It stems from the amount of time I choose personally to commit to each commission. Um, I know lots of photographers doing work which is at least as good as mine. You, you might do two or three times as many jobs per year, uh, but uh, they'll have other mechanisms for dealing with the work workload there, whereas I tend to do almost all my work um, at a distance from where I live. I travel all around the UK, out into Europe uh, once or twice a year. Um, I'll pretty much always then travel to where the wedding is taking place the day before. 
and then I'll go for a little scout around, check out all the locations. And I spend a lot of time doing other sort of back-end things to... Well, it's not deliberately to add value for the client, but, but it's always driven by a natural, instinctive uh, feeling on my behalf that this feels like the right way of doing it. So so by virtue of all the stuff, all the work I put into each uh, wedding, I, I, you know, I couldn't cope with more than, particularly more than 30 in a year because I'd run out of... Um, run out of time basically because a, a year has a set number of days and uh, and and I spend a you know a large chunk of those then doing all the back end stuff for each each wedding I photograph fantastic now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and let me figure out the line and what have you got for me Right. This is tricky for me because I, I've been pro- I was programmed from a very young age to never lie. It's uh, and it is a very successful <laughs> level of social programming. It's uh, um, so what, what kind of things have I done in my life which 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 are I suppose newsworthy really? I I, I was um, I, I was the youngest black belt in Aikido in the UK at the age of sixteen. I can say thank you in slightly over a hundred different languages uh, <laughs> which I always find useful always good to be polite um, oh uh, and uh, I was once uh, frisked at gunpoint by the police in Marseille for searching for a vegetarian restaurant <laughs> you, were, you were searched at gunpoint for, for what, sorry? Uh, for... Uh, for looking at a vegetarian restaurant? Well, well, we we weren't looking at one. We couldn't find one. We we, we were searching for a vegetarian restaurant, but... Um, the French were so taken aback that somebody didn't want to eat meat. I, 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 yes, I did wonder that. It's, uh, I, I wasn't a vegetarian myself at the time. Uh, but, yeah, so I spread-eagled on the back of a car... Uh, being frisked with uh, another guy pointing a gun at me. It was. Uh... Oh man, I don't know. Black belt in Aikido. I don't know what that is. It's because you said Aikido rather than something like karate. Something tells me that's true. A hundred languages. Thank you. You're clearly a very clever chap. Has probably met a lot of people. You do a lot of travelling. Politeness. Uh, but can I imagine French police? Do French police even carry guns? I'm trying to think. Too much of it is based on a lower low, so I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say you weren't frisked at gunpoint in Fr- in America, maybe. I don't think in France. I don't think that happened. That's the lie. It did actually happen. It's a true story. Ah! So what was the lie? Uh, the hundred plus languages. It's it's something I've always aspired to, sadly not the truth. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Well done. You totally got me. Um, Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would it be? Tricky. This is a very tricky one because uh, I'm always of the mind that I wouldn't tell myself anything because I'm the kind of person who will always listen to advice with respect and will always take it on board, but then will go, right, so I need to test this out for myself 
and see how that actually does work for me with my particular set of circumstances. So, so I, I explain that elaborately because uh, I'd be loathed to be thought of as being close-minded or stubborn. But, um, <laughs> but so if I met myself at a younger age and gave myself advice, I know I wouldn't really listen. Uh, or I would <laughs> listen to it, but I, I would just go ahead and do the stuff I did. And but the I think the the adage I've um, molded from from a common one is uh, now we should always learn from our mistakes but the reason we should learn from our mistakes is not in order to avoid repeating them in future uh, because it's in our nature to make the same mistakes time and time again uh, the reason we should learn from our mistakes is so we're better prepared for the consequences next time we make them so uh, but yeah if I went to my younger self I, I, I would Probably the one thing I advise is uh, don't rush to spend money on things which you are guessing will be important for your business. Um, wait to spend money. Uh, wait until things come home to, well, almost home to roost and point out to you clearly that you need to, to do all that money because uh, I'm looking at a pile of boxes over in the corner uh, with... Uh, a massive, beautifully printed, uh, physically printed sort of uh, marketing materials, which I, I commissioned from a local printer seven years ago, and they're still sat there. <laughs> and uh, it cost me four or five hundred pounds. So, but it's four or five hundred pounds of redundant spend, which you know didn't didn't sink the business from the outset. But uh, yeah, I, th I think the the one piece of advice I get to myself is. Uh, hold back on spending, uh, don't try to guess what will be needed, but, you know, get your, don't just dip your toe in the water, but get into the water up to your waist and then work out what you need to, what you need to spend to not just keep floating, but to, you know, swim across that sea. Nice. Um, Mr. Phil, thank you very much. Don't forget to go to beingfreelance.com and check out the show notes for this and, of course, links through to Phil's site as well. And you can also listen to all of the other previous guests which are there. Hopefully you'll subscribe via iTunes or whatever it might be. Leave a review if you're feeling lovely, which I can tell you are. Phil, thanks so much and all the best being freelance. Thanks very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure, pleasure speaking with you. Be careful in France next time. Yeah. I'm worried about you now. Yeah. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.